little human. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I can't see my slides. Yeah, I got that part. Um, that's not the slide I'm worried about, it turns out. It's the next 15 that I don't have memorized. Okay. But thank you for the peanut gallery. You know, it's okay. All right, so um, I guess uh, George uh, said the live stream started, so I need to respect myself. Um, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So I came across this, uh, this talk on micro versus macro morality, and it was kind of phrased in a way I had never heard before, and it really piqued my interest. And I'll, I'll give you, someone was giving a speech at Notre Dame Law School's graduation. You just feel free to, you know, hug it out, Henry, right in the middle. It's okay. It's okay. Um, in... I, I get you, I get you. Uh, 2018, thank you. <laughs> it's water, you know, but that's okay. You can judge like I did to you. So, um, okay, so this topic um, I think is very important because it sort of captures a big um, aspect of our cultural life here in the United States. Um, and it's one that we don't really have to struggle with as much, or we didn't have to struggle with as much in Egypt, but we have to struggle with a lot more here in the United States. And it's this idea of where our morality comes from. Right? So uh, in the speech, and I'm just reading you the quotes from the speech, he says, Christianity teaches a micro-morality. We transform the world by focusing on our own personal morality and transformation. This is huge because this is Christianity. And so Christianity's goal, and this is very important because we think about, thanks, Peter, thanks. Um, because we, we have to think about, <laughs> I love you, Peter. <laughs> is that what he's saying? <laughs> what a punk. He says, I want coffee. He's like two. Um, and so this concept of Christianity is very important, right? Because it kind of puts into focus our role as Christians, right? And our role as Christians, is, it's very important here, is to focus on us, just ourselves, right? And if we can figure out how to do that, then we transform the world, transform the world just us individually with other people, really the only way it's ever been done, right? So... The way Christ transformed his disciples, the way the disciples transformed the world, it wasn't by going out and having a macro morality, which I'll discuss now here in a second. He says, a new way of thinking, and it is new, teaches macro morality. One's morality is not gauged by their private conduct, but rather on their commitment to political causes and collective action to address social problems. And we see this a lot here. We see this a lot in the youth. Right? The youth are just kind of crazy for causes, right? And we saw that during the BLM protests when half of our youth just went nuts, right? We saw that, we see that in all kinds of Instagram movements and where the youth are very, very passionate about some kind of moral um, uh, ideology, political ideology. We have to stop Trump. We have to stop racism. We have to stop whatever it may be. And we also see that in the adult population, right? I've been in many conversations, mostly with people my parents' age, but with sometimes people my age, where they really believe that if the, a particular political party wins, then somehow the, America is made whole, right? That now we're okay 
as Americans because this political power, this political party won, or this particular bill got shot down, or this particular bill got passed, right? We need to pray that this bill passes Congress. We need to pray that this, this person wins the Senate, or this person wins the presidency. Like God's really that concerned about which monkeys in Congress at any particular time, okay? And, and, if, and if we can somehow do this, this, get this macro thing right, well, man, now we, we've nailed it, okay? Now, the concern with these things is I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have um, things that we're passionate about. We shouldn't have political agendas that we're passionate about or politicians that we're passionate about or particular issues that we're passionate about. If you want to volunteer and end, you know, sex trafficking and slavery in other countries and racism and bigotry, you want to do knock yourself out. And no one is suggesting you shouldn't do those things. But what we are suggesting is you have to be careful that that macro morality doesn't replace my morality. That somehow me having a good cause means I'm good. I'm doing the right thing. I'm fighting for justice. Yeah, but you know, what about your judgment and what about your bigotry and what about your own personal hatred? Well, we're going to keep that on the side, but right now I'm working to end really important things. Now, this can also happen in church, right? I can be serving in church and doing all these things in church, and then I come home, and I'm a jerk to my family, and I'm screaming at everybody, and I'm angry all the time, and I'm being judgmental. And then my kids say to me, which my kids have said to me, you know, Dad, what about all the church stuff you say at church about loving people and being patient and, and all that stuff? And I, I say, hey, 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 at home is one thing, and church is another, right? The biggest hip- hypocritical statement ever said from all us fathers. And so what happens is I have this macro cause, right? And the macro cause dominates the micro cause. And then it drugs me into thinking that I'm actually doing something because I'm actually ending badness out there somehow. I'm ending abortion. I'm ending homosexuality. I'm ending whatever, you know, soup of the day that I happen to be, some, whatever cause I'm looking at ending, okay? Now, the problem here is this system allows us not to worry so much about the strictures on our private lives while we find salvation on the picket line. We can signal our finely tuned moral sensibilities by demonstrating for this cause or that. See what's going on here? I can signal my finely tuned sensibilities by demonstrating for this cause or that. So what I'm doing is really I'm virtue signaling. I'm telling you how good I am because I, I, I support these really good causes, right? I'm going to put out a video, and I'm going to cry about what's happening in Palestine right now, and I'm going to show it to the world, and I'm going to show how sensitive I am and how empathetic I am and how loving I am because those Jews are bombing those Palestinians. Now, I'm not saying the Jews should be bombing the Palestinians, but I am saying, do you have that same empathy for your mother who you never visit or for your cousin who wants you to really help them out but you don't want to help them out? Do you have that same empathy for your wife, for your children, for your colleagues, for your subordinates at, at work? Do you have that same empathy? Well, yeah, well, no, no, no. I don't have that same empathy. Why? Well, because, you know, when I attack other people, and that's what the word I'm going to use now, I'm going to switch. When I go after the immorality of the world, okay, who am I not going after? Me. And it's really easy to go after everyone else's immorality because that's fun. Right? I mean, that's just kind of enjoyable to go after other people's immorality. We can talk about them, especially if they're clergy, even better, 
right? Talk about how they're bad and how they're not good and how we're good and if only they were good like us. We can talk about Democrats or Republicans, whatever group you want to pick, right? And you can other anybody, right? You can other the Palestinians, you can other the Jews, you can just other whoever you want, Ukrainians, Russians, there's always somebody who's against somebody. You pick a side, you talk about how bad they are, and then you feel really good about yourself, right? And back in the day, and you guys are all old enough to see this, we used to have shows like Donna and Oprah, Donahue and Oprah and Maury Povich, right? And these guys would find like the scum of the earth, right? And put them on screen, right? And they would just talk about how bad they were. Like, you know, so you did what? You did this. And all the, all the people in the audience go, ooh, baby, that's bad. And everybody's upset. And you're watching these people who just did like these horrible things, like really evil things. And you're just loving it, right? You're like, she's so bad. He's so ugly. He's so horrible. She's, and, and what are you doing? I'm feeling good about me, right? Because I get to watch crazy you. Bridezilla, Hoarders, whatever TV show you want, where I take the, the someone who's broken and I put them on the screen. I say, see how broken and disgusting they are? And you go, yeah, broken and disgusting. And I feel so good, right? Because I don't want to look at what? I don't want to look at my moral, my broken and disgusting, do I? That's, un, that's unpleasant, right? I don't want to look in the mirror at my brokenness and my sin. I'd much, much rather look at yours. I'd much rather look at yours, especially if you're not even people I know. You're on TV, you're on the internet, even better. I can talk about how bad you are all day and how good I am all day, but I don't want to face the mirror. I don't want to think about the things that are broken in my own life, right? And so that becomes Satan's approach to us, right? And the reason this is a difficult issue is because back in the day, right, the only way I could judge people I had to go someplace to find them, right? So I had to come to church. Church was nice, right? I come to church, I look at people, I go, oh, I bet you she's this, I bet you he's that, I bet you he cheats, I bet you he does whatever, right? And we can judge everybody at church, right? That's fun, but it's limited, right? I only can judge like 200 people, okay? But now I have the internet, now I have TV, now I can judge millions of people I haven't met. I can judge countries and their policies, and now it opens up a whole slew of judgment, right? I can sit on my phone and just swipe and judge and judge and judge and judge and judge and judge. And then at the end go, man, I am so moral. I am so amazing, right? And that's what we see happening with the youth a lot. And that's what I see happening with the adults a lot. Because it's really Satan 101. Satan 101 is don't look at you. Look at someone else. Look at them. Any them works as long as it's not you. And this is how Satan gets us. This is how we judge our brother. And this is how we fall into the biggest sin of all of them. And so Christ, St. Paul teaches us, do not be transformed by this world, but, but do not be conformed. It didn't sound right. Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed, right? So our goal as Christians is transformation. Transform whom? Real important. You missed the intro. Me. Transform them? Nah. Transform anyone else? No. You. Just you. Just me. How about your husband, wife? Nope. Not your business. Your kids? Not even. Focus on you. You, you. That's the work of the Christian. So Elder Paisios has this beautiful quote. I love this quote. I have to move because I can't see the screen. 
He says, if you want to help the church, it is better to try to correct yourself. Uh, how many times have we heard the church is broken, the priests are broken, the bishops are messed up, the Holy Synod? We never hear anything about archdeacons because they're perfect. But the others, right? So he says, if you want to help the church, it is better to try to correct yourself. By the way, I'm sarcastic. So if you haven't noticed, that was sarcasm, which means I don't mean what I just said. I mean something else for those who are recording and clipping <laughs> and sending them to bishops, right? <laughs> which happens, by the way. Rather than be looking to correct others. So if you want to help the church, correct yourself. Rather than be looking to correct others, if you manage to correct yourself, one small part of the church is immediately corrected. So look at the beauty here. Just correct you, and then a part of the church is corrected. Naturally, if everyone did the same thing, the body of the church would be in good shape today, uh, in good health. But today, people concern themselves with anything but themselves. Say it again. Today, people concern themselves with anything but themselves. You see, judging others is easy, whereas working on yourself takes effort. And that's the, that's the truth of our lives, right? How often have we tried to break free of a sin? How often have we fallen back again and again and again in the same thing, been frustrated with ourselves, disappointed in ourselves, and then say, you know what, let's just start talking about somebody else because that's just far more enjoyable. And at the end, we all pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, Abuna's terrible, Bishop's terrible, Archdeacon's terrible, servants are terrible. St. John of Kronstadt says, leave all human injustices to the Lord, for God is the judge. Okay, so human injustice, that's God's job. Your job, but as to yourself, be diligent in loving everybody with a pure heart. So you have one job. Love everyone with a pure heart. There's lots of injustice out there. Lots of people do lots of things to lots of other people all day, right? Every wedding, there's always people fighting. Every funeral, someone's fighting. Someone hates someone. Someone in your family hates someone else, right? Everyone's arguing. Everyone's walking out of rooms. Everyone's pissed off about something, right? That's, that's human injustice, and that doesn't go away, right? When, when Adam fell, we say in the liturgy, what? Death entered the world, Sin entered the world, injustice entered the world, corruption entered the world, evil entered the world. It's just kind of here. This is what we do to each other, and we're going to keep doing it. It doesn't stop, right? So we have to leave that human injustice to God, and the only thing you can fix is you. When, when, when the BLM movement came out and the, all the youth were up in arms and wanted to burn everything down, I was like... I told him, look, this is clearly unjust, what this policeman did to this, this man. But I can't really focus on his injustice. And I asked them, I said, have any of you ever been unjust to another person? And I raised my hand first. I said, you want to end injustice? There it is. End that one. That's the hard one. And they're like, well, you don't understand. You know, she deserves it. He deserves it. You don't know what they did. Okay. So their injustice is, your injustice is different. Everyone else is, oh, well, that's, you know, that's horrible what those people are doing, right? So keep the focus clear, right? There is injustice. There is evil. It's out there. People do stuff all the time. Okay, what can I do about it? All the injustice I need to fix is right here. 
And you know what? You're going to spend a lifetime working on it and not even get there. And that's if you spend a lifetime working on it. Right? Focus on number one. I just love this quote. If you desire freedom, then try to first free yourself from yourself. I'll let you just think about that one for a second. That one you can just sit on and think about for a couple of days. So transformation, that verse that we just read that I butchered. Right, so what's this process of transformation? By the way, that's a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. The point of our life is not to find ourselves, but to transform ourselves into the image of Christ. That's really the goal. Sorry, I'll turn off my phone. <laughs> um, and so I want you to take a look at these children's hospitals. Anyone here ever been to a children's hospital? No, Khalid, please, just uh, keep, keep them here. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have looked back there. Um, anyone ever been to a children's hospital? You ever see these pictures, right? Children's hospitals are what? Depressing places, right? Kids really hurt, parents in, in a lot of pain and anguish, unable to help their children. It's a horrible, difficult place to be. And so whenever you go to a children's hospital, you see pictures like this up on the wall. Right? And these are, these are former patients, these are kids who write notes, right? And you see lots of these former patient pictures up, right? And they're them, you know, like they'll, they'll have a picture of them and then they'll show them now they're playing baseball, then doing ballet, and they're playing piano, right? What's the purpose? Right? Why, do we, why do they put pictures like that up in a hospital? To give hope, right? So all the other little kids who are there say, you know what, if I stick with my chemo and I stick with the, doing the right thing, someday I'll play baseball too and someday I'll do ballet as well, right? So think about this. Do we do something similar? Do we put up pictures of former patients? Yeah, don't we? Isn't that what all these pictures are? Former patients? Isn't this the hospital? Right? So transformation, the reason we put these icons up is say, look, there's hope full of broken people, and they're on the walls. We put our patients on the walls too, right? To give all of us that, that hope that no matter what we are, we have hope, right? And that's our goal, is transforming ourselves into that light of Christ. And we have to stay very singularly focused on that objective. Once we, our objective slips, our eye is off the prize, and now I'm looking at him or her or them or a country or a movement or a religion. You're not transforming a religion. You're not transforming thousands of people. Right? You, you, can't even, you, know, you can't even transform yourself. <laughs> Can you? Is that kind of hard too? Right? So when I say, no, no, you know, like one of the biggest lies we tell kids in college, I'm on a college campus, I see this all the time, you can change the world. Stop lying. Right? Don't keep telling the kids these things. It's stupid, right? You can't change the world. You can't even change you if you try really, really hard. And then, then we lie to them and say, go change the world. Well, good luck, right? You just sign up for a life of disappointment <laughs> and bitterness, and you come back bitter and angry and resentful at all the bad people out there who don't want to change, even though I pointed out to them how bad they are several times, and they didn't change. Can you change you? Nah, not interested. I want to change them. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So how does this change come about? He changes us, right? We bring him in, and then he does the work. 
Because a lot of times you say, I've tried to change, I've tried to change, I've tried to change. Ah, I think I see the problem. You're trying to change. Instead, you should be saying, I want him to change me. So our struggle isn't with sin. Our struggle isn't, I got to be better, I have to be better. Our struggle is, I need to get out of the way, I got to let Christ in, and I got to let him change me. And the biggest thing, the biggest obstacle that Christ has to changing us is us. We stop him. We say, you know, ah, hold it right there, buddy. No further. Can't come any closer. That one, that one's mine. You don't get to, you don't get to go here. So we stop Christ from changing us. So the struggle isn't the struggle to be good, whatever that word means. The struggle is to get out of the way so that Christ can make us good. I mean, when you look at the Egbeya, right, the conclusion of the Egbeya, you know, everyone has a different translation, but I'll, I'll use my old one. You know, we say in the end, sanctify our thoughts, make chaste our bodies, correct our thoughts, purify our intentions, heal our sickness, remit our sins. Do you ever see the, everyone see the direction? Sanctify my thoughts, purify my body, heal my sickness, remit my sins, purify my intentions, right? He does to me, not me do to me, right? He's the one who fixes. I struggle, but he does and he wins. He comes in and he, he gives us victory. So we let Christ in and then let him do what he's going to do. And I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do in your life. I don't know what he's going to do in that, that person's life or, or anyone's life. And everyone comes out different. Everyone encounters Christ, and then they just come out with something else. Everyone has a different gift, a different talent. Every part gets activated differently, just like a stem cell, right? That activation of a stem cell, when one cell becomes bone and one cell becomes hemoglobin and one cell becomes hair, right? That activation, that's the touching of Christ. And then you go do the thing that you're supposed to go do. Okay, I don't know anything about stem cells, but... Anyone have any questions? We could be done if you want. But um, I always use this quote and I really love it. Oh, yes, go ahead. Um, macro versus micro. So I think of like MLK Jr. in terms of like social justice. And if he would have just focused on himself, then the whole civil rights movement wouldn't have necessarily happen. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is there's a balance, right? Is that what? Very good. Very good question. Okay, so let's take MLK as an example. Oh, repeat the question. Sorry. So she's saying there are people in history, Jesus, who had they remained silent and just focused on themselves, we would have never known. They would not have inspired us. Mother Teresa, you know, I was going to say Gandhi, but that'll get clipped out and I'll be accused. So, you know, really, really good people who did really good things, okay? Um, and if they had just stayed silent, well then, you know, that's, uh, that's a shame, right? So what's the balance? Great question. One thing we see in the lives of these people, and, there, and there's not that many of them, okay? is, come on in, guys, but just come in and be quiet. Yeah, you. I'm looking right at you, bro. I'm going to laser his eyes. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Come on in. 
Just come in and be quiet. Don't kind of try to disrupt the class. No, no. Just come in and be quiet. There it is. Okay. It's like my kid, huh? Should I not have him? Yeah, I know. That's why I lasered him in the eye. Gave him cataract surgery. So, just like, just like Henry. Just like his dad. There it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so the question, answer the question. Thank you, Amen. See, Amen's there to bring me on track. So, the goal, what all of these people did, all of them, all right, let me, let me, I'll answer a question with another. The Feast of the Nehru's, I know I'm going to go really off, but you, you'll come bring it all back, right? The Feast of the Nehru's, what do we celebrate? We celebrate martyrs, okay? So when I celebrate a martyr, what am I celebrating? That he stood in front of all these people and said, I am Christian, if you kill me, you kill me, and, you know, I don't care about your gods, and throws something at the emperor, hits a banana in his face, and then he kills him. Right? Is that the part I'm celebrating? Well, let's think about how the martyr got there. Okay? So before the martyr stood up and said, I'm willing to give up everything for Christ, like my life. I'm sure at some point he, was, he said, I'm willing to give up Sunday for Christ. And I'm willing to give up a bit of my money for Christ. And a bit of my time for Christ. Right? And a bit of my heart for Christ. Right? So... In the life of the martyr, there's two pieces. There's the visible, where he, where the, the visible part where he um, gives away what he has, right? And then the invisible part, the hidden part that we didn't see his whole life. Sometimes we'll say he was raised by good parents and he did good things, right? But we don't know what his hidden life is. But what I do know is I know his exposed action, right? So when I praise the martyr, I don't praise him because he got, you know, he got all excited for five seconds and said, I'm going to die. It's not that. It's because that's not what he gave up. He gave up his whole life. He must have given up his whole life, everything about him, right? That's when he sacrificed. And so what I'm praising the martyr for is the hidden part, not the exposed part, okay? Which actually has a basis in Christ himself, right? Because Christ's nativity was the hidden, uh, uh, you know, uh, humiliation. Anyway, let, let, let's, just take, let's just take that aside. So, so now I'm praising the, the hidden part. Okay, so now let's go back to your question. What got MLK to MLK? What got Mother Teresa to Mother Teresa? What got Jesus to Jesus? What got all these saints at this point? Wasn't the exposed part, it was the hidden part. Like the daily fight with themselves, the daily fight with their ego, the daily fight with their own desires and lusts and everything else, right? And then when they got to this point, God calls them and says, okay, now you're ready to speak. And certain people are called to that, not everybody. Okay. And unfortunately, what we think and what we do backwards is we think the talking comes first. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you why you're going to go to hell. Let me tell you why I'm going to judge you. And yet I have no love in my eyes because I haven't done the work to get love in my eyes. Right? So we like to jump to that second step. Okay? But those people did what I'm saying in, 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 in droves. Right? They did that micro-morality. And then at some point, you know, the crumbs fell off the table. Right? And those people are called so that we see 
a, a glimpse of their life. The example that just keeps coming to mind is Pope Krellos, right? All the work is hidden, 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 hidden. And then he gets called to be patriarch and the guy bursts into tears. Like, why are you exposing me? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be the outward guy. I want to be the inward guy. He got dragged into it, right? So what I'm trying to push us to do is to get dragged into that macro morality, right? Don't let that be your first response, right? Let that be the, the eighth response, right? First, do that inward battle, right? And then when God calls us, we speak out of the abundance, you know, Jesus said, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what I'm saying is let's focus on that abundance of heart first. And then when you are asked to speak, and we see it in the lives of the fathers, they don't want to speak. They were pushed. Give us a word, Abba, right? And they're pushed to speak, and then they do. And then what comes out is, I think we're, we've just kind of flipped the tables. A lot of people are on typing and Instagram and posting and attacking, and everyone's righteous, you know, and no one's doing the work, the hidden work. That's a very long answer. Yes, Ash. One of the struggles I encounter with myself first and a lot of the youth too is this concept of I have to reach a certain level of righteousness or goodness before God or personal sanctity, inner holiness before I'm called to serve or called to do anything. And uh, it almost sounds to them, I don't think this is what you're saying, but sort of taken to an extreme, there's this sense of I have to be holy first before, um, before I could do anything uh, outward. Uh, and and it's, it's almost like the more you serve, the more you encounter Christ, the more you uh, come closer to him, and the more you're transformed, to use the language in Romans, the more you realize how broken you are. So in a sense, I think this is sort of a version of your question. In, in a sense, there's some inner recognition of I have to work on myself, or as you said, far more correctly, I have to let Christ do his job in me. But that doesn't necessarily prevent a calling to serve, and in fact, an obligation to serve, because that's perhaps how I encounter Christ, um, and maybe not serve in a sort of like head deacon, whatever sense, outward sense, but a serve in a real sense of doing something other than for myself. And I'll stop talking one second. The other extreme is um, the people that sort of want to, as you said, I, I love to be a speaker, I love to be the head deacon, I love, 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 and that gives them their sense of holiness. So it, how, how, do we, how do we find that balance or how do we strike that, um, you know, that right chord? That's a, that's a great, thank you for clarifying it. That's the, what Usher said was perfect. Um, I mean, yeah, you hear that, Violet? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a good amen. Look at that. That's, that's points there, Usher. Um, uh, I, I think the, 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 the part that's missing in that is I have to reach a certain level of holiness before I'm called to speak. And so what I said is those people reached a certain level of digging into themselves and letting God make them holy before they were called but it wasn't their determination, okay? And in fact, if you ask them, are you at the holiness yet where you can be called to speak? They say, are you nuts? I think would be their answer, right? So 
the problem is, is when I figure out that level of holiness, right? Or I somehow, and in fact, you know, the, 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 the fun cliche, right? God does not uh, call the, the, the justified, but he justifies the called, right? Or doesn't make, you know, call the holy, but he, you know, sanctifies the... So that's the issue there is, you know, I have to reach a certain level before I can do stuff. And the problem with that is heaven help us when you think you're at the level, right? And heaven help you if you get called to do something, then you say, wow, I must be at that level now. I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm holy. I'm pretty good, right? So that, that never ends, right? That you've never reached a point where, okay, you know, I've done it, right? It's a constant, it's a constant, um, uh, shame of humility, of, 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 humility of, of I can't believe you asked me to do this thing, you know? I mean, even, you know, when you, when you, when you look into the lives of the saints who heal people, right? The, the Ibuna Fanuses and the Ibuna Faltaoses and all these guys, right? You know, I mean, think about this, right? I mean, you know, you're, 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 you're a monk who's living your life. You don't want anyone to know who you are. You don't want to deal with anybody, right? And then you give someone an urbana and then they go, that Urbana cured cancer. And you're like, oh, God, great. Now everyone's going to want Urbana from me, right? Because in no way could you possibly think you cured the cancer, right? You handed someone some Urbana, okay, and you know yourself pretty well, and so there's no way you think I did that. And so immediately their reaction is, ah, okay, I'm not giving anyone more, any more Urbana. Cause, and then the next time something happens, you know, when you... You know, you, you hit me with the cross on my, on my arm. It turns out I had a, a cancerous growth there, and now it's gone. You're like, oh, great. Now I can't hit anybody with a cross because they're going to keep coming, right? They're going to think. And so their perception is very much God is doing these things, right? There's no way I'm doing any of this. I haven't reached some level of holiness. And in fact, now, like you said, now I'm even more embarrassed, right? Are you really, are you going to really use me to cure cancer? Like, what? I mean, I, I would just be stunned by that. Like, I, I can't believe you would use me. Like, what, what kind of God are you that you'd use just garbage like this? You know? And that's their feeling. Then they become even more humble and more uncalled and more unworthy, right? Because you're just in, 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 in the presence of something amazing that God would use them to do something like that. I, I find it... Uh... Like, it, it's so hard for me to grasp that Pope Krolos and Padre Pio, these great saints, that God gave them so much grace of these miracles that it never got to them. Like, I, I just, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around that. All right, let me, uh... oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just going to elaborate on that, uh, the example of Moses. The example of Moses when uh, first he tried to save his people and he killed the Egyptian guy, but later when God worked with him for 40 years, it turned out to completely different. So mm -hmm. Exactly. Same, same kind of thing. Okay, good. Any other questions? We can end whenever you want. I don't know why Sunday school is going so long. Usually it lasts like four minutes. and then. I <laughs> this is a quote by St. Athanasius. Oh, I didn't write St. Icon says it. Um, and I, I, I just love this. By analogy, God is to Christians as the sun is to the moon. 
As the sun is the exclusive source of light, so God is the sole source of glory. As the moon reflects the light, so be believers reflect God's glory. Right? And I love this example, right? Because when you think about the moon, what is the moon? It's just a dead rock, right? It's just nothing, okay? It's just a bunch of nothing, okay? But yet at night, the moon gives light, right? It reflects God's, the sun's light, and it gives light to people who are in darkness. And he says, you're the moon. What are you? You're just dust, literally, just dust. But yet I, I'm going to bounce my light off you, and people are going to look at you and say, what, what do people say at night? Look, the moon is giving off light. Is the moon giving off light? Kind of. It's not its light. It's reflecting light. But we mistake it, and we think what? The moon is giving off as a source of light. Correct? This can happen to a human being. The human being can give off light. People will say, you're light. And you say, yeah, I'm light. No, you're just dust you're just a rock and lights happen to bounce off you because you're the right color and happen to be in the right spot and the worst thing the moon can do is think to itself yeah you know what i'm killing it i'm giving off a lot of light i'm pretty amazing which is where a lot of us go very quickly as servants when everything we're giving off is what just a reflection of god which is why you know we have these little traditions in the church that are beautiful like at the end of a sermon when someone gives a talk or whatever, we don't clap, right? And why not? Because if you clap, who are you clapping for? Me. But what do I say? And glory be to God forever, right? So what I'm saying is, I, those weren't my words, right? God gives the words. If you like the talk, glory be to God, his words, right? As I always say, you know, people... Uh, um, God gives the words and people praise the monkey who says them, right? And that's just how I feel about, and that's why we, we think of ourselves as moons, right? As St. Athanasius said, just bounce off the light. Okay, so this is a nice story about St. Anthony. It's one of my favorite stories because I just tell it differently than it's written. <laughs> Um, when Abba Anthony thought about the depths of the judgment of God, he asked, Lord, how is it that some die when they are young while others drag on to extreme age? Why are those who are poor? Why are there those who are poor and those who are rich? Why do wicked men prosper and why are the just in need? Aren't these all questions we've all asked? God, why did, God, why did you take that child? Why are you letting, letting this person live on to 98 and they want to die for the last 15 years? Why did this bad thing happen? Why did she get cancer? Why did you take this? Why, why, why? And we do a lot of this. And in fact, St. Anthony did this too, which is very reassuring. So St. Anthony's like, you know, God, I'm, I'm not getting some of the stuff you're doing. This doesn't make a lot of sense. You're giving all this guy money. He's a jerk. And the really nice people are poor. Why would you do that to them? Why would you take their only child? Why would you help this person when they... He's asking the same questions we all ask. And then God gives him this great answer. Anthony, keep your attention on yourself. Tamelek, right? Focus on yourself. Mind your own business. Right? Micro versus macro morality. And sometimes we love to get in the business of God. We love to tell people what God's doing and why. 
right? I, my favorite, and I use this example all the time, is when I, used to, when I used to hear people say, let me tell you why God gave us COVID. And you're like, wow, are you really going to finish that sentence? Are you going to tell us why COVID happened? Tell us. Tell, here, here's the mic. Why did God do it? In, in, enlighten me. Right? What, we're playing God. And we do this with each other, right? You know, sometimes, you know, someone will lose a child or lose a loved one young. And everyone comes over and what do they say? Oh, well, you know, you know why God took him? Because maybe he was going to be bad when he's older and maybe Mishadif eh, and maybe this. And, and they start being God's lawyer. They start defending God and they tell you why this is happening to you. Maybe God's trying to teach you a lesson. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe whatever. People love to tell you what God's thinking. But you know what? Keep your attention on yourself. And just as advice, don't do that. When someone loses someone or someone's in pain, just be there. Completely quiet. Just be there for them. It's not your chance to give a sermon, to help them out, to tell them what went wrong, to explain to them God's actions. Just be there. He continues, these things are according to the judgment of God, and it is not to your advantage to know anything about them. My ways are not your ways. My ways are not your ways. I couldn't even explain it to you if I tried, and you wouldn't get it. And the fact that you think you'd get it is kind of arrogant of you. That if I sat there and explained to you what's happening, you'd be like, yeah, okay, well, now, now I got you. Now, I mean, God, yeah, we, we, we know what's going on. The rest of you don't, but we do. Okay, this is my favorite quote, and I'll end on this quote. This quote has a lot of implications for a lot of things, and I want you to listen to it carefully. Come on in, Micah. Or at least close the door. Let me study in. It says, St. John Chrysostom says, For Christians, above all men, are forbidden. In Christianity, we don't use the word forbidden very often. He says, forbidden to correct the stumblings of sinners by force. So what is he saying? We have a tendency to want to fix people by force. How do we fix people by force? We pass laws. We can pass a law that says abortion is now illegal. Murder is now illegal. Doing this sin is illegal. Right? So now I'm forcing you to what? Be good. Does that work? He continues, it is necessary to make a man better not by force, but by persuasion. We neither have authority granted to us by the law to restrain sinners, nor if it were should we know how to use it, since God gives the crown to those who are kept from evil not by force, but by choice. So if I, if I put a gun to your head and say, don't sin, and you don't sin, but you really want to sin, did I do anything? I say, you know what, if you do, I'm going to put you in jail for 50 years if you do that. Did I do anything? I made you moral. I made you act a certain way. But that's not what Christianity is looking for. Christianity is looking for a change of heart. It's looking for an act of love. It's looking change from the inside out. So me simply forcing you to do something isn't doing anything. I haven't made you Christian. If I, if I tell a girl, if you get an abortion... I'm going to put you in jail. Uh, I haven't made her Christian, have I? I haven't saved her, have I? I haven't helped her, have I? 
I haven't loved her, have I? Have I done any of the Christian things? No, I just forced her to do something I would do. And then he says something here, and I'm just going to go back into the paragraph, and this is the enlightened part. He says, We neither have authority granted us by law to restrain sinners, and this is important, nor if it were, should we know how to use it. He's basically saying, and he's, he's foreshadowing into the United States in 2023, and he's saying, if we were granted the power of the law to force people to be good or moral, we would not know how to use that power. This is, has a lot of implications for us in the United States. Should we use our power to force people to act a certain way? Is that our role as Christians? Is, is that how we measure our Christianity? Pass laws against others. Macro-Christianity, macro-morality, make other people moral. Is that our role? Does that change people? Does that make people love Jesus, love Christianity, love God, love us? Or is it the exact opposite? Things to think about. Anybody, have, anybody else have any questions? I have like 30 more slides, but you guys are cooked. Thoughts, sadness, anger, resentment, tomatoes, anything you want to clip out, send to, you know, on social media. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, you know, it's a thing. All right, glory be to God forever, amen. Let's stand up and pray really quick.